Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. with you all. Um, I love that the pews are back. I mean, they're not pews, they're chairs, but we've been having tables. I'm sure a lot of you guys have been aware from the Nehemiah series, and now we have chairs in rows, and I never really thought I'd be thankful for pews, but, you know, a lot can change in a year and a half, so that's one of the things. Um, Today, we get to explore God's holiness and how it affects us as humans and believers in Jesus. Now, holiness wasn't actually something I thought I'd be teaching on, I don't know, two weeks ago. I've just been praying and thinking, God, like, what, what do you want to be doing in our lives right now as a church, what, in, in my life, in, in the individual lives I talk to here? Um, even as a community, as a world, I've just been chewing on what, what, what can affect us, what, what has really, I guess, what has been affected in us by the last year and a half and all the things we've carried all the things we've walked through, all the things we're still carrying in current events, and what in us needs to be shifted or can be addressed in a morning by God that would change the way that we lived and interacted. So this was the word that came to mind, holy. It was actually in worship last week, and this is just the holiness of God. And again, holy isn't an easy concept. It's not something that I jump into. I mean, I meet with you know, clients, I'm a spiritual director, and holiness is one of those words I won't just drop in the conversation because there's such a mixed bag of uh, emotions and thoughts and ideas that come with the, the concept of holy. What comes to mind for you when you hear the word holy? Actually, let's hear a couple of you guys. What comes to mind? What was that? God. That's good. <laughs> yeah, God. Holy and God. What else? Fear. Oh. I'm not getting it. Oh, pure, not fear. Pure, holy, pure. Good. Thank you, Corey. Anyone else? Set apart. That's good. Yeah, and these are ideas that we, we kind of hold here in church. What about outside the four walls of church? What do you think someone outside the four walls of church hear when they hear the word holy? Holier than thou, right? Yeah, a little bit maybe self-righteous, you know, that's good. What else? Religious mumbo-jumbo. Hypocrisy, was that what I heard? Yeah. Unattainable. Oh, that's good. Whatever. It's, it's kind of irrelevant, right? Yeah, thank you, Linda. Um, you know, I, I think those are the words that are coming to mind for me too. And I want to be sensitive because these ideas aren't just really outside the four walls of the church. From my experience, those ideas are also inside the four walls of the church. We have both the idea of God's purity, his beauty, all the, you know, the wonder of who God is. But we also have in that this mixed bag of, yeah, but like, what does that really have to do with today, my to-do list, the things I have it's a whatever, you know, or sometimes it's a holier than thou. I've been in situations with Christians where other Christians say, you're too spiritual, right? And there, there can be truth to that. Sometimes the things we do can be irrelevant. There's also a truth to that in the sense that um, what people are doing can be perceived as too 
um, ritualistic or something. Anyways, there's a spectrum of meaning. That's what I'm trying to say. And depending on who you are and how you view God, everything from, like, the spectrum can be as wide as something wonderful. Holiness can be wonderful to repulsive. It can be awesome to irrelevant, and it could be worshipful to a waste of time. So why study holiness today? Well, because true holiness reorients our lives around God, and it cleanses our minds and our hearts from the crud and the junk of living in a broken world, and because it leads us, like Joe did so well, it leads us into worship, not just sung worship, but a life of worship to God. It changes our whole perspective. It changes the orientation of our lives, and it cleanses us in places we need it most. So my heart this morning is for us to learn to walk into the presence of God without minimizing his holiness in order to feel comfortable and accommodate for ourselves, our insufficiency, or our lack while at the same time not wanting us to hide ourselves, everything from our struggles, our desires, to our sin, in order to accommodate for the holiness of God. We usually do one or the other, sometimes both. We can try and make God come down to our level, or we can minimize ourselves because we're scared of what God might do. So I want us to be able to be honest with who we are, as well as honest to what Scripture says and who God is. So we're going to try and do today. So there's a tension here to bring our truest self to the truth of God and to see what he does in that very honest place. So today my hope is that we can begin to see how God's holiness that leads us to worship him alone is also the place where he does a deep work in us in order to realign us with his reality and priorities and continue healing us from the effects of sin, suffering, and living in a broken world. Let's take a moment and pray and turn our hearts to the Lord. Lord, we've been in prayer, I feel like, so many times already this morning, but I'm stirred as we uh, just hold this concept of holiness before us, aware of just the spectrum of messiness that we bring into this. Um, You know, even in our language, holy cow and other holies that just invade the ways we think and, um, you know, kind of can subtly corrupt our concept of who you are. And we don't want to forget who you are, God. We want to remember. We want to be refreshed this morning. We want you to have your place here at High Street, here in our lives, so that our worship is really true, so our worship is clean, so our worship really affects the lives, uh, our life and the lives of those around us. Lord, we also don't want to do this in such a way that it just shrinks us. We want to be brought into worship and know that you know us, Know that you're able to deal with us. Know that we can bring our mess and our confusion and have your holiness do something about it. So we invite you, as we open up your word, to speak through the picture of Isaiah and all that he goes through in this vision with you. Would you open up our minds and our hearts with your Holy Spirit and speak to what we need to hear? In your name we pray. Amen. So open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Very familiar passage. Um, Hopefully you get some new illumination from it this morning. I love that God can use familiar passages to do new things in our lives. So open up Isaiah chapter 6. We're not going to read it yet. I just want to think about the context first. So the first verse here, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, who is Uzziah? Have any of you guys asked that when reading this passage before? I did this week. And what is important about Uzziah's death that in this amazing vision that Isaiah has that, king, that he would note about King Isaiah's death. Well, we're going to take a moment and look at this because it gives us a lot of context for what Isaiah is going through, and it connects pretty relevantly to what we're going through right now. So let's take a moment and jump in. So King Isaiah is in the lineage of kings from King David. Now, King David's probably more familiar to us. He wrote the Psalms. He wrote a lot of... Um, yeah, other things in the Bible. The Psalms is really famous, what he's famous for. He's in, I think, 1 Samuel and the beginning of 2 Samuel. The kingdom of Israel is unified under David. He has a son. His son's named Solomon. Solomon's the last king that the kingdom of Israel is unified underneath. After Solomon, because of the sin of David, the kingdom divides. And it's divided into Israel and Judah. So Israel and Judah, these two kingdoms, continue in cultural division all the way up until when Jesus comes. These are actually the, the seeds that are planted for hatred, for racism, for the division, the cultural division that, that Jesus experiences between the Samaritans and uh, the, the classic Jews or Israelites that consider themselves separate. So Israel is the Samaritans that eventually comes, and Judah is the line of Judah that Jesus actually comes from. Okay, cool. So there's this cultural divide. King Uzziah is the ninth king after Solomon. So there's Solomon, after Solomon, the kingdom divides. There's nine kings in the kingdom of Judah. And three-fourths of those kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. So he's in a lineage of kings not doing so hot. There's a few of them that do pretty well, but most of them don't. And Uzziah is considered a good king until he's not. So he, basically towards the end of his life, well, midway end, um, well, let's, let, let me go back. Uzziah was considered good because he defeated the surrounding kingdoms built towers, which was a big thing back then, and increased armies and weapons. All of these kind of showed to the people of Judah that God was with him, that God was favoring him. It says in 2 Chronicles 26 that King Uzziah's fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. And marvelously helped in other translations implies that he was marvelously helped by God. And this is until he was strong. The very next verse says, but... When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Another translation says to his downfall. So here's the story of Uzziah's downfall. We can see it in one moment. Uzziah, on, at the height of his kingdom, the height, he's in his prime, he's doing well, he goes into the temple of God and attempts to burn incense on the altar of incense in the holy place. So if you know the temple, there's the outside, there's the inside, which is the holy place, and then the most holy place is called the Holy of Holies. So this is right outside of that, the altar of incense is burning fragrance before God. And he goes into the, to the place where the priests alone can go and decides on his own to burn incense before God. The message says it this way, he walked in the temple of God like he owned it and took over 
burning incense on the altar. And this is only the priests were allowed to do this. So the priest runs in, the head priest, and stops him with the help of 80 warriors. So you can imagine, these are the mighty men, the, the ones that came from the line of David. Just these bulky heroes, they slayed giants, those type of people. 80 of these men run into this room. The room, uh, the, the holy place is about 45 feet by 15 feet wide. So it's not that, that big for 80 mighty men to come in. King Uzziah, the priest, plus all the little objects, the lamp and the, the showbread, and then you have this altar of incense all before the most holy place. And they're all crammed in there with weapons and big guns, and Isaiah sees what's going on and gets angry. And this moment where he gets angry at the priest for stopping him, leprosy breaks out on his forehead, and everyone, you can imagine this pack room, everyone witnesses leprosy, boom, right on his forehead. It's not like it breaks out on his ankle. It's right in his face, right? Everyone sees that this is the king of Israel, or king of Judah, and they rush him out. He realizes, they all realize, this is God. God just reacted to the way that Uzziah approached him, and Uzziah is a leper until the day of his death. Another translation says that he's quarantined. Okay? Does that bring back any memories for anyone here? And he was quarantined so much with his leprosy that he couldn't even, when he died, be buried with the royal kings. He had to be buried in a separate graveyard. So this is like a whole shaming thing. He was, he was considered good until he wasn't. So for Isaiah, he's a prophet to Judah, to Uzziah to these people who are meant to have this covenant relationship with God. So he's seeing this in the kingdom of Judah, and this is kind of the result for him, if you can kind of paint his picture. He's seeing this empty throne, right? There's the, the throne is empty, the king is down, he's down for life, he's down for the count. There's a defiled temple, there's corrupt leadership, there's abuse of power, there's this, like I mentioned before, cultural division of kingdoms. And, and even in this cultural division, there's a, there's a division of loyalty between which gods to worship. That's in there too. And lastly, in this specific moment, as well as abroad, there's dishonor of God. So, I mean, as I list those things off, are you catching pieces of what you see in life right now? And maybe in our culture, maybe in our communities, maybe even in our church, in our lives. Empty throne, defiled temple, corrupt leadership, abuses of power, cultural division, dishonor of God. And all this in the year King Uzziah died. So now, as we approach Isaiah 6, let me read and we'll consider this vision that the Lord gives to Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds 
shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. We'll pause right there. What's stirred up in you as you read this? Just think about it. Are you stirred by the throne and the temple? Are you stirred by the song of the angels? Are you stirred by this curious moment of the cold and the cleansing of the lips? You know, there's a sense of mystery, wonder, and otherworldliness that is meant to stir us up about this vision, to disturb us from all of our earthly opinions and limited assumptions and lift our eyes with Isaiah's to encounter a holy God. In this moment, God is readjusting Isaiah's perspective around truth, the reality of God's reign and rule. Let's connect this with what we said about the, the reality that Isaiah was encountering in his circumstances. Isaiah sees broken authority, but God reveals his authority as high and lifted up. Isaiah sees an empty throne. God reveals a full throne, him reigning as king. Isaiah, Isaiah sees a defiled temple. But God reveals his robe and this cloud, this smoke filling, a symbol of his presence filling the temple. Isaiah sees a people full of fear and divided loyalties. God reveals a coal to cleanse and forgive. See, we're seeing that God begins to reveal that his holiness can shift the reality of Isaiah that Isaiah is facing, and realign him with God's resources, reality, and relationship. God's holiness actually replaces the lack in Isaiah's perspective and in the things that he's encountering and resources him with what he needs for this season. And that resource is in relationship with God. See, even for us this morning, God's purpose in these glimpses into his world through Scripture, are, are to directly affect our engagement and our understanding of the resources we have at our disposal to deal with the things that we have in front of us. But how are we to engage with God's holiness to the extent that it changes us in our circumstances? I mean, are we just going to be caught up into heaven? Well, let's take a look at our passage and see what we can glimpse. Let's take a look at the story, or the Song of the Angels. I'm going to reread this portion. Song of the Angels, verse 2. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we want this picture of God's holiness to begin to shift how we perceive him, how we worship Let's think about this. The seraphim are angels. First of all, angels are insane. Anytime they show up in the Bible, 
people say, they have to frame their arrival with do not fear because our reaction to angels is fear. So now we're seeing what most people in the Bible encounter with fear, looking in reverence at God, even barricading their, their faces and their feet before him because of the holy radiance coming from him. This is a picture of what goes on in heaven 24-7. There's multiple moments in the scriptures where we see these angels worshiping before God. Consistent worship. Aware, wondering, I'm not wondering, full of wonder at who God is. Full of uh, adoration. This is their job. This is why God made them, just to watch him. Just to be in awe of this perfect being. So we have this beautiful song, and the song is in two parts. We have the holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And Lord of hosts, I, if you could retranslate that in your scriptures, translate it, read it, the Lord of heaven's armies, because that's really what it means, and it's just a way cooler translation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. Theologians call this holy, holy, holy repetition the trihagion. It means thrice holy, trihagion. In Hebrew thought, this is what they're trying to reflect, each repetition of, of a word in a, in a song like this increases in intensity and worth. It's kind of like an exponential grading. So you say holy, that's, that's pretty holy. Holy, holy, that's really holy. Holy, 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 that's like you can't touch it. It's beyond. It's the highest holy you can get. We, we understand this in English, right? You know, if something's far away, it's, it's like kind of far, but something's far, far away, that's like really far. And if we watch a, you know, sci-fi movie, you might hear in a galaxy, far, far away, right? And that means it's light years away. It's, it's just, it's very far away. And in the Bible, we also see this with Jesus. Jesus often say, verily, verily, or truly, truly. And as a kid, I'm kind of like, Why? You know, why say truly, truly twice? Obviously, you just, you're Jesus. You're saying it. You don't even need to say truly once. But he's saying, build your life on this truth. You can, you can rely on this. This is reality. This is truth. Truly, truly. And so the angels in here are using this thrice holy, this, this repetition of three, because in Hebrew thought, three was complete. There was nothing in a way beyond that. You, three meant whole. It meant complete. So, the Hebrews would say, holy, 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 because this is the highest holiness you could get. And holy in Hebrew actually means sacred, set apart, separate. And in God's context, we understand that he's holy in such a way that he is separate from human sin, he's separate from corruption, and he's separate from all death and disease. He's perfect, he's clean, and he's complete. So the funny thing about holiness is we try and bring it down to this level that we can comprehend, right? That we can kind of deal with. We like to make it just a moral set of attitudes or rules, things you do. You don't drink alcohol. You don't swear. You do, I don't know, your chores, whatever. But the holiness of God is actually a transcendent quality beyond any human achievement. You can't achieve holiness in the way that we're looking at it about God. It's beyond performance. This should kind of like crumple any hopes we had of performing ourselves into relationship with God. Tozer says it this way, A.W. Tozer. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, 
incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, all his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. God himself is holy. He alone is uncreated. No beginning and end. He is incomprehensible. No human mind, even all of the best minds in the world could comprehend him. He is infinite. No boundaries. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's pure. Him alone. We can't get there. That's just something we don't get to do as much as we'd like to. And this, for the angels, these seraphim leads them to 24-7 worship. This is something that we can just like chew on for the rest of our lives if we want. This is part of the problem with doing a sermon about this, is it just is like, it spills over. Like, I just, I can't keep going on this. I wish I could if we had all day. But you can chew on the holiness of God because it lasts forever. He is always holy, and it's not something you need to get to. It's something you get to enjoy. It's something you get to worship. It's something you get to, in a way, experience. Like I said, this breaks us of performance and achievement. So this leads to part two of the angel's song, right? First one is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. Sounds cool. And then they say, the whole earth is full of his glory. So their holy worship of God, as they're worshiping him, there's this first reality they see his holiness, his total apartness, his separated from anything that could ever mar or He's pure in all the ways possible, right? And as they sing that, it is directly connected to the reality that we live in because it says the whole earth is full of his glory. And this is where it starts to be applicable for us. This holy worship of God reveals the glory of God that's already filling the earth. Now, not a lot of us may have been caught up into a vision where we suddenly see God on his throne inside the temple that Isaiah is experiencing, right? I mean, raise your hand if you have. You can come up here and give the message. Um, But we have had experiences of God's glory. God's glory is an experience both, you know, sometimes in worship here in church, we experience his glory, his presence, there's a sense of awe and wonder. But we also experience it just out in nature. Right, like for example, walking down the like main path in Yosemite, you're just like, "Whoa!" These giant walls of granite, just like way beyond anything I could ever conceive, are consuming the sky, and they just like stand there, and they stood there way before I ever existed. They'll stand there way before I die. I mean, way after, you know, like this. It's just glorious. It's beyond us. It's something that gives us a picture of God's majesty. I mean, before I lived in the Redwoods, I w- and I still do a little bit, I would look at the Redwoods and be like, whoa, those things are so, so big. I walked through the, uh, with Carrie through the loop at Henry Cowell. They have the old growth Redwoods. Those things are crazy. Like all the different ways that they grow, the age, they, they trace back past the birth of Jesus. That's so, so old. Okay. So, God's glory. You just have moments like that that give you a glimpse of who he is. 
So this holy worship of God actually helps us see his glory, right? And then vice versa, as we see his glory, it actually gives us glimpses of the holiness and the purity of God's created wonder. Uh, like a great example is like Jacob, right? You, know, you guys know Jacob from the Bible. He steals his brother's inheritance, lies to his dad, gets the blessing, runs away because his brother's going to kill him. His mom says, go, because you're not going to beat up your brother because he's way bigger than you. He's running away. He's sleeping on the road. He sl- puts his head on a rock, has a dream, sees God. You know, it's one of these like, whoa moments. And he wakes up, and this is like a lot of us. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Another translation says, I was not aware. Right? I think this is so good because that's what I long for. This is the glory of God. This is the holiness of God. When we grasp these things about who God is, when we're in worship and we have these moments like the angels and then we see, we see, wow, God was here and I had no idea and, I mean, for us, we experience this maybe on a retreat. If you guys have gone to camp, you know, you, whoa, God's here, all these teachings from the Bible and beautiful moments with family and, and, and hearing the word of God and, wow, you know, whatever. That God was here and I, didn't, I wasn't aware. The challenge is, and this is what we're going to continue to talk about, is saying that same thing when you're doing laundry, right? Or when you're working tediously on an Excel spreadsheet or whatever, you know, like, I, I want us to say... Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it, right? And that's what happens when we comprehend God's holiness. There's a poem by um, Elizabeth Browning that says it this way, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. Isn't that a beautiful connection of the glory of God in these moments and then recognizing his holiness? As we glimpse God's holiness, we see his glory in the world around us. God's holiness in this way affects and fills all of creation. Because God is holy, I can hide in him from corruption. Because God is holy, I have a place to bring my whole self where I can be seen and known. Because God is holy, I have a place that is safe from external and internal harm. This is the refuge and the glory of God's holiness. Only before this holy God do we truly see ourselves as we are and are meant to be. But, as we'll see in our story, this can be terrifying and humbling. Isaiah 6, 5-7 says it this way. We'll read this again. Isaiah sees the angels worshiping and God and the glory filling the temple and the holiness and says, and I said, woe is me for I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand that burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah experiences, like some of us, you know, rightfully, fear and terror at his impurity as it encounters this incomprehensible holiness of an uncreated, infinite God. 
This God beyond human achievement, Isaiah is just, woe is me. You know, this, he's, he's so familiar. He's almost like too familiar with death and its effects. I mean, you think about it this year, right? I was talking to Carrie last night about the sermon, and we were just considering what it was like to live during a pandemic. I mean, we still struggle with this, right? That there's a fear of even touching something. There's a fear of touching a person. There's a fear when you're sitting in a theater and someone coughs behind you. You know, I don't know how many of you start, what's my chances right now? Am I, is this going to get to me? You know, we're used to living in fear of death. We're used to living in fear of being corrupted. And Isaiah is so used to this. He says, woe is me, I, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. It's a picture in Hebrew thought of ritual impurity that this corruption should never see the beautiful light of the glory of God. One translation says it that Isaiah says, I'm as good as dead, which we understand later is true, right? It's sin that does, the wages of sin lead to death, right? So in Hebrew thought, let's just explore this one more moment. Death, right? Death included this idea of separation from. So it wasn't always physical death when we talk about being, when, when we talk about death in light of who God is. We talk about spiritually, spiritual death. And that death was a separation from. It means the relationship is dead. There's an there's a eternal reality that separates now us from God. We see this most clearly in Genesis 1. We're made to live with God and share his holiness in the ways that humans can. To walk in purity, to walk uh, in communion with him, and to flourish. And Adam and Eve enjoy this unbroken fellowship with God. But in Genesis 2 and 3, in our self-sufficiency, we choose the knowledge of good and evil, this tree, right, and pluck the fruit, and death enters. Not death immediately, but death as separation, and we're separated from a holy God. We're actually, in the picture, they're kicked out of the garden, and an angel's guarding it. They can never go back to that beautiful communion that they once had. And Isaiah is too familiar with this. His job as a prophet, he spent his whole life, and he will spend his whole life, calling Israel back from defilement, from worshiping other gods, from doing it in ways that were not only like impure in their thoughts, but lots of times impure in their bodies. He knows this pervasive impurity before a holy God, and he just watched King Uzziah make the same mistake as Adam and Eve and watched him be separated from God. So what's going on with this coal, huh? What's that about? Kind of cool. You know, I was telling Carrie, we've been watching a Marvel show. And I'm like, it kind of sounds like a Marvel show. You know, like this cool, powerful coal touches your lips and, you know, your sin's taken away. But seriously, what's going on? I mean, why a coal? Well, this is, I think, going to shed some cool light on the end of our story and, and a lot that we understand here in the New Testament. In the temple that Isaiah was so familiar with, places that he served, the others served, there were two altars. There's one for burning and one for incense. Now, I talked earlier about how the outside of the temple and then the inside of the temple, the inside had this small altar called the altar of incense, right? And that was burning, and that's what King Isaiah came in and all that. On the outside, there's also an altar, that one's called the altar of burning. What do you think the altar of burning was for? Anyone? 
Sacrifices, correct. What do you think was burned on that altar of burning? What kind of sacrifices? Animals. Can you guess one animal? Lamb, sheep. Yes, that's the main one. There's also um, bulls. Thank you, wife. Um, But lambs were burned on the altar of burning. And the priest's job, one of their jobs, was to take a coal or coals from this altar of burning, carry them, these, these ritually clean now coals, carry them and put them into the altar of incense. So this altar of incense is sitting before the Holy of Holies. And they would continually pour this oil over these coals and it would create a fragrance. The fragrance was meant to be 24-7. Depicted on the veil in front of the most holy place are seraphim, angels. Pictures of them worshiping God 24-7. So, this altar of incense was the acceptable worship of the priests that was now cleansed on the altar of burning and brought into the altar of incense and continued to function. So, there are two reasons, at least, why this coal is significant to Isaiah and so powerful. Number one, you remember what King Isaiah was doing in the temple? Anyway. Burning incense at the altar of incense. Curious. So this very altar that Uzziah came in, in his self-sufficiency and pride, and burned incense before the Lord, and was rejected by God and cursed. This very same act, God is using that same thing in Isaiah's life to be an act of atonement. Let's help think about this. King Uzziah's worship was unacceptable and defiled him before God. Isaiah watched him, and this became sin and loss and all a symbol of all of the stuff that went wrong in the kingdom of Judah and in Isaiah's life. The corrupted leader, the defiled temple, the empty throne, all that loss. Now this angel takes a coal from that same altar, a coal from the sacrificial lamb's death that is now purified. And that same coal is lifted to Isaiah's mouth and touches his lips, and he's declared that he's clean. It's just crazy to me that the item that, the item that defiled King Isaiah is now used to purify and cleanse Isaiah's sin and guilt. What is going on there? Well, God is using the very broken relationship through the very area. Sorry, let me restate this. God is using the very area of broken relationship that came through self-sufficiency and pride to do the reverse in Isaiah and bring forgiveness and cleansing. So he's using that very same thing to heal and recalibrate what's going on in Isaiah's view of who God is and his holiness. 
And this leads to the second part of the coal significance. Like I said, this coal is from the sacrificial lamb's sacrifice. <laughs> from the sacrificial lamb. And is a picture of our reversed relationship with God through Jesus. So, you might have already picked up on this, but we need to be aware that Jesus himself lived a holy life on earth. Jesus died a holy death, and his resurrection and ascension revealed his holiness as a lamb sacrificed so that we could be clean, so that we could walk confidently into the presence of God. Not, so the temptation for us, like we were talking about, is to be more like King Isaiah, with presumption and self-confidence, control, fill in the blank, to come to God on our own terms and attempt to make God more like us. But Isaiah learned, and as we see here, and as we know in Jesus, when we come into God's pervasive holiness based on the work of another person, then our worship is acceptable. Then we can respond like Isaiah, and there's a whole beautiful scene of him being called by God after this. So it's clear we don't create holiness by what we do. And we don't create it by what we don't do. But we receive holiness by faith in Jesus' work for us. We receive the coal on our lips. We receive it based on the work of another person as Jesus so our worship is actually made pure and acceptable. So we can stand before God because of what Jesus has done. We can come into church on a Sunday morning and sing with open hands, open arms, without shame because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Our shame, our guilt, our fear are washed away because it's the work of another person. We can bring our mess, our confusion, our struggles to God because of the work of another person. It's not based on what we've done. It's based on what Jesus has done for each of us. And because of that, we receive then the holiness of God in a restored relationship. And we walk with God in the garden, right, like Adam and Eve did, and there's no more barrier. So we can be loved and transformed by the holiness of God. So here's what I'd like to do. Joe, if you come up for a moment... And uh, I'd like to pray. And in our prayer, I want to give you guys a moment. Just a moment. And put down performance. Put down your self-sufficiency. Put down needing to earn something from God. If you're tired of trying, just be at rest. And receive the gift of being accepted. If it's helpful for you, picture the coal coming to your lips. If it's helpful for you, picture sitting before the throne. And, and, but then I'll read one scripture as a way to receive what Jesus has done. Lord Jesus, we just love that your sacrifice was enough for each of us. 
it's really insane to be invited into your presence. And we know that you are a holy God and a man who lived a holy life as God and laid his own life down for us so that we could be brought back in, so that we could be in that presence of the incomprehensible, the infinite, the mysterious transcendent Father. Thank you that we can have relationship with you, that this has become a place where we don't need to hide ourselves anymore. We don't need to manage our sin. Lord, but in your presence, we can let it all be known because it's already all known. And you've done enough to deal with what we've done in the past, and where we're at in the present, and even what we'll face in the future. Lord, we place our fears, our hopes, our longings, our dreams inside of the holiness of God. That they, these things would be purified, that they would match your presence, that they would be aligned with what you're doing. Yeah, that your purposes would be known in each of our lives, in our church. That your holy presence would be welcome here. And that we'd be a people that also and again are set apart for the things you want to be doing in our life. Lord, we just stand on the truth of the scripture that we have confidence to enter the holy places by your blood, Jesus. By that new and living way that you opened for us through the curtain, the veil that is your flesh. And since we have you as the great priest over the house of God, over the temple of our lives and our church, we draw near. We draw near with a true and genuine heart in full assurance of the faith in what you've done. And we receive that our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And we hold fast today together to the hope of our confession without wavering. For you, you are faithful. It's in your name we pray these things. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.